doctors don't have a clear understanding of it. It started opening up my mind to like, how does the human body work? This is a real thing that really affects people. This is a major pain. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we'll be speaking with Morgan, who has a trio of major pains, Ehlers-Danlos, mast cell disease, and POTS. It's not uncommon for these three conditions to present together. In fact, they're often referred to as the EDS triad. Morgan does a really great job explaining all three of these diseases in the episode, so I'll, I'll leave that to her. But I will tell you that this is a really incredible story. Morgan is only 21 years old, and she's already been through so much. She went through a period of being misdiagnosed where her doctors were telling her that, you know, this might all be in your head and you just need to go to physical therapy. And if you're a regular listener, you'll know that I have experienced many of those similar things. But Morgan experienced something that I have yet to have, which is getting the diagnosis. She actually got her definitive diagnosis of what is going on in her body and was able to adjust her lifestyle and start working towards living in harmony with her major pain. And it's really beautiful what she's done so far. I'm so impressed with with everything that she had to say in this whole episode. She's so young and um, just so intelligent and so present and a really wonderful person to talk to. So, I'm thrilled to be able to share this with you today. You'll hear me introduce Morgan as Morgan at the beginning of this episode. I forgot to ask her about the pronunciation of her name before we started recording. It turns out that she's flexible with either Morgan or Morgan, but I switched over to Morgan just because that's how she introduced herself. And I also wanted to point out that a couple weeks back, Andy and I read an email from Morgan. I had been referring to her as Morgan. And even before that, I had read an Apple podcast review from Morgan. So Morgan is not only a fantastic guest on the show today, she's been a really wonderful supporter of the podcast so far. And I was so thrilled to have this opportunity to have a nice long chat with her and get a real good picture of what it is that she's going through because she's going through a lot and it's just pretty profound the way that she is managing everything in her life. I'm so impressed and I'm honored to share her story. If you enjoy this podcast, I hope you'll consider supporting us on Patreon. We have three tiers of support on Patreon, the supporter level at $2 a month, the patron level at $7 per month, and the producer tier at $25 per month. Extra special thank you to our very first producer, Steve Cavanaugh, for helping to make this show possible today. If you'd like to support this show, you can learn more at patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast. There's a link in the description of this episode. And with that, we're going to jump right into our discussion with Morgan about the EDS triad, Ehlers-Danlos, POTS, and mast cell disease. All right, Morgan, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you. I'm very excited to talk to you today. This is the first... You're the first person that I've met through the podcast. Honestly, I was like super excited when you like asked me to come on. I was like, oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've been so supportive of the show so far. I've really appreciated it. Andy and I read your email on the podcast a couple episodes back. And I'm just really excited to get the full picture of your story because it sounds like you've been through so much. Yes. (laughs) I feel like when you're like in it, it's like everyone tells you've been through a lot, but you never really think you have. Yeah, totally. Yeah, because we can all only experience our own lives, you know? It's it's yeah. hard to get perspective on what other people are going through. <laughs> so, Morgan, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hey, um, so yeah, I'm Morgan. I go by they-she pronouns, um, and I would say like I'm an academic at heart. Um I'm currently on a medical leave um, from college, but I go back in the spring. 
um, and I'm a linguistics and comparative literature double major. And kind of other than like studying languages, I have tons of houseplants. Like there is over a hundred houseplants here. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Do you have a favorite yeah. type of houseplant? I can't choose that. I mean, I have like an aloe that's like up to my hip. That's probably like one of my favorite plants. Awesome. <laughs> and I know I've been calling you Morgan, but it sounds like it's pronounced Morgan. Um, I kind of let people say it however they want to say it. I mean, I grew up with like half my family saying it one way and half the family saying it a different way. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a preference? Um, honestly, either's fine. Either's fine. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> awesome. Linguistics. That's so interesting. That Linguistics is the only class in college that I ever got a C. It's the only thing I ever got a C in. <laughs> I don't know why. I just, I had a hard time with linguistics. It didn't, it didn't, I, I, you know, who knows? Maybe it's the teacher's fault. Maybe it's my fault. Who knows? Probably my <laughs> fault. <laughs> but it's such an interesting field. What, what drew you to linguistics? Um, honestly, I just kind of have a fascination with languages in general. So, like, I started, like, learning language, like, as self-study um, on my own in high school. Um, and I started, like, learning German. Um, and then I've kind of added languages since then. And now I'm just kind of more interested in preserving the languages that we do have. Hmm. A good example right now is that um, I'm working with Sicilian. And Sicilian's an endangered language. So, oh. um, unless people are speaking it as it gets pushed out. Um, especially since it's a minority language. Um, so the more work you put into it and learning how to teach it to others um, and just academically putting out information of its importance, um, the more you can kind of get governments to keep it alive. Wow. Fascinating. I've never heard of anything like that before. It's so interesting. So Morgan, what is your major pain? So I would say that my major pain would be something called the EDS triad which is made up of three conditions, which is Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, which is um, a heritable connective tissue disease um, affecting the collagen. So my collagen isn't built right. So I dislocate easy. I have constant subluxations. Um, my skin's really soft. It cuts easily. And it kind of causes a wide array of symptoms, especially because every single joint in my body is unstable. Hmm. So like, um, I have my like neck brace on right now for like cranial and cervical instability. And like, I have knee braces and elbow braces and the whole nine yards. <laughs> um, and then the second would be POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, um, which is a type of dysautonomia. Um, which part of it's because of just like the dysautonomic um, system not go forming right. Um, sorry, I have a lot of ums in my speech. It's <laughs> totally fine. I think, I think we all do. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't work right. So like it can't um, regulate my heart rate mm. and it can't regulate the veins to squeeze the way it's supposed to. Um, which part of that is just because the nerves aren't working right. And the other part is secondary to my Ehlers-Danlos syndrome because my veins are stretchy. So all of the blood pools in my feet, which also causes my heart to race. Um, and I'll end up fainting usually when I'm standing. Wow. 
then the last one is um, a mast cell disease. So I currently have a diagnosis of mast cell activation syndrome. So I have constant allergic reactions um, in varying degrees. So like I always have like a minor allergic reaction, but I can have extreme reactions up to like anaphylaxis very easily. Wow. So that kind of like, and it affects like every system in your body. So like if I eat something I'm not supposed to eat, I feel like I've been hit by a car the next day. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and those kind of cause like a very long list of other conditions. Um, but I think um, two of the ones that one of them we've already kind of talked about, like me and you, yeah. um, which is CSF leaks, um, yeah. leaks. Um, and I had one of those recently. And then it also caused um, a cold tethered cord, which I had a surgery for. It caused, I'm sorry, I missed that. What was the last one? Um, a cold tethered cord. So I've, I had I've a, never heard of that before. Yeah, um, well, it's a tethered spinal cord. Um, they call it a cult because um, mine didn't show up on an MRI when usually you're supposed to be able to see them. Hmm. Um, and they don't really know why they don't show up on the MRI, but um, they went in and my spinal cord was tethered to um, my vertebrae um, just by like tissues and other things. And I also had an incredibly fatty phylum, which was impeding movement. So basically my spinal cord was stretched taut and it was pulling on my brain and all of my nerves. Wow. That sounds really painful. What does that feel like? Um, so it causes just a lot of like, basically like I used to feel everything pulling towards that point in my spine that I was tethered at. Mm -hmm. So I had constant stretching pain or like, I felt like someone was like pushing my eyes backward into my skull and it caused like sciatica and all sorts of neurological issues. So I almost lost my swallowing completely. Um, and it caused like a neurogenic bl bladder and bowel issue. And um, it can actually make for EDS. It makes um, the instability in your joints so much worse, especially because it can cause atrophy. Um, I, my legs were atrophied. Um, and I couldn't gain muscle every time I would try it start bruising and I had no I ended up losing all touch sensation and all temperature sensation waist down wow yeah. you have so much going on so I want to I want to parse through this a little bit and break these things down but before we do what is your general feeling about your health because I don't you know we don't know each other very well you seem you're such a young person you seem so positive and smiling and I'm just curious what your general outlook is. Um, I think, and I think a lot of this is because I've always been ill since I was a kid. Um, and it's just kind of gotten worse as I'm older, but I kind of feel like it's just part of like an average part of my life. Hmm. Like sometimes I get stressed about it or I get upset about it, but it's always kind of like a passing thing. Like if that makes sense. Yeah. You kind of move through it. It doesn't, hold yeah. you in place so you so you try not to let it define you it seems like you have a positive a attitude and are, do you can do you think of yourself as a joyful person um honestly yeah i think it's very hard to get me pessimistic about something wow is, is that <laughs> from your 
lived experience of having things that are trying to bring you down and learning how to not let that happen from a young age? Um, I think a lot of it's actually because um, I used to have a lot of mental health issues when I was younger. Hmm. Um, and I think that was like, during like the worst of my mental health issues is the only time I was ever really pessimistic. Yeah. So I guess as things continue to go on, I kind of just have a reminder of like um, the importance of being optimistic about things. Yeah, totally. It is a choice, you know, like uh, there, there are elements of it that we don't have control over, but the desire to be happy and the, um, the the work towards being happy is something that I always ha- find myself having to choose over and over again because it is so easy to slide into frustration, depression, um, you know, spirals of of negative thoughts, and it's much harder to get out of that. But it is so possible if you can train yourself to do it. Yeah. Wow. So tell me a little. I want to hear a little bit more about each of these things separately. So let's talk about Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. So it's a connective tissue disorder. It causes hypermobility. And my understanding is that it also causes a lot of uh, pain issues, body pain issues. Is that true? It's just head to toe, um, mainly like muscle pain, um, because um, the ligaments are very lax and they're very weak. So they work super hard to keep your joints in place. Um, so everything gets very tense and painful. Um, but also others Danlos syndrome ends up causing like a lot of neuralgias mm-hmm. um, because things are moving around so much, you know, it's easy to damage nerves. So I have like, honestly, I have like three different neuralgias just in like my head area, like trimenial neuralgia, occipital neuralgia. Um, and it can cause things like chronic migraines. Mm-hmm. So I probably have like a migraine that like puts me in bed the whole day, at least every week. Yeah. And a neuralgia being a pocket of nerve damage. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Wow. So, so, uh, can you tell me a little bit more about the, like the flexibility do and the hypermobility aspect of it? Yeah. So basically like it's hard and like when people can't see it, but like for instance i can like move like my pinky 90 degrees with my palm oh wow yeah um, or like if i want to put like my foot over my head i'm not gonna do it you know? <laughs> 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 so, but like i can put like my foot over my head and i kind of do that by just popping my hip out of place so you can just pop joints in and out of place at will yes yes i can <laughs> is there an element of feeling like you have like a superpower involved in that (laughs) i think sometimes it turns into like a party trick Hmm. (laughs) yeah like a like a conversation starter yeah like sometimes like i'll be like look what i can do can you do this and you just start like bending everything every which way and people are like what are you doing (laughs) (laughs) wow um so that causes uh these neuralgias it causes full body pain um and then also what is the long-term effect of having weaker ligaments um so really there's just 
a lot of degeneration in general um, because really I'm constantly injuring myself um, because like subluxation cause injury, major dislocations cause injury. Um, so you have tissue damage and with defective collagen, you don't heal as well. So like if I get hurt, like I can't repair my muscles as fast as somebody else that got hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like a lot of risks of increasing that instability through damage to your muscles. Um, and it's like, it's hard to get surgery with EDS because of the healing issues. Mm. And then as far as like the widespread instability, it causes so many symptoms, especially like cervical instability. Um, because yeah, really it just messes up everything. But, um, like my cervical instability, um, when it gets really bad, like I can't turn my head certain ways or I'll break out into like, um, severe tremors, like replicating like a seizure. Hmm. So there's always that worry. And then some people have like, um, cranial cervical instability so bad that like it could actually like kill you because it can stop you from breathing. Wow. Yeah. Like if I don't have my neck brace on, um, I can't keep my head up. Um, I can have seizures, um, lots of like vomiting, headaches, etc. And um, <laughs> yeah, honestly, it's hard. But if like somebody like corrects my neck to the correct position, I actually breathe way better than I am right now. Hmm. And sometimes, like, I have to actually, like, push my vertebrae backwards because I'll start feeling them slip into my throat. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that sounds terrifying. So, do you see a chiropractor for those sorts of adjustments? Um, so, I see um, a manual therapist that's kind of like a chiropractor, just, like, much more gentler. Okay. And put, like, a lot of things back in place while I'm there. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember uh, a subluxation is when... Is that when something moves out of the correct place? Yeah, so it's a partial dislocation. A partial dislocation, okay. Wow, this sounds so complex. And <laughs> Do you mind if I ask how old you are? I'm 21. You're 21. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, that's incredible. <laughs> okay, so tell me a little bit more about uh, POTS. So, POTS mainly affects your heart rate. Um so your heart will go really fast. Um, and that increased heart rate is usually what causes people to faint. Um, along with the fact that a lot of us have blood pooling. Um, so kind of like on one of your other podcasts, when Maya was talking about, um, I think reflex, um, syncope. Yeah. Um, it's a similar thing for like the blood and thing, except instead of my blood pressure doesn't drop. Okay. When, um, and if I'm not, like, actively fainting, then I'm in, like, pre where I get, like, the symptoms where I'm going to faint, where I'm, like, constantly lightheaded. I can have a headache. Um, it can even, like, make you really nauseous. Um, and it can, like, make your vision blurry or have your vision, like, black out without you actually fainting. Wow. How did you, how do you get diagnosed with that? What do they look for? Um, to get diagnosed with POTS, um... Basically, if you say, like, I stand up and my heart rate goes crazy. Ah, uh, okay. Gotcha. 
they'll send you for a tilt table test, which basically measures everything that's going on. Um, it'll measure like your blood pressure and your heart rate. And if your heart rate goes either above 130 beats per minute or increases by 30 beats per minute, hmm. within being upright, um, they count it as positive for POTS. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and is there is there a common relationship between POTS and Ehlers-Danlos or is this... Yeah, um, a lot of people, there's there's actually like 13 types of Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Oh, wow. I count as hypermobile because um, there's not, there's, okay, so hypermobile is the only one that doesn't have a gene mutation identified for it. Okay. So I have an unknown gene mutation and I also fit the criteria um, for hypermobile the most um, because of my mucosolus games. Oh my God. I can't say that word. The, the widespread muscle pain. <laughs> Whatever that is. Like, um, so I fit like that more closely than the other type of Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Um, so that's where I'm labeled as. And that's specifically that kind of Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Usually has, um, most people that have it have POTS too. Um, and a lot of people also have um, MCAS too. What what is so they, MCAS? Is so that the, is that the mast cell disease? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. They flock together, mm-hmm. um, and they're not a hundred percent sure on why, because it's it's still very much like open research. Honestly, yeah, totally. I mean, uh, there's so many genetic disorders and autoimmune disorders, connective tissue disorders that are the science is so fresh um, and yeah. changing so much. So, and the Ellis Danlos is a genetic mutation. So, is that expected to be like the root cause of all of this that's happening to you? Is that your best guess? Um, yeah. 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 So, you have some sort of genetic mutation, and then these other syndromes are sort of byproducts that flock towards this uh, Ellis Danlos. Yeah. Like, if I'm going to quickly list like all of the conditions that I have from Ellis Danlos syndrome, like head to toe, it would be like the POTS, the MCAS, um, chronic migraines, um, visual disturbances, um, such as like um, visual snow syndrome, if you've ever heard of that. I haven't. So it's like basically it turns your vision into like constant static. So like, you know, those really old televisions. Absolutely. Yeah. I, when I was a kid, I had static <laughs> on my TV, all the, the hidden channels like HBO and Showtime were all, you know grainy <laughs> like i used to watch static television <laughs> just because like what's on this channel i had to know <laughs> that's how old i am i that's before the internet <laughs> i sound like a, i'm an old man now okay sorry go ahead <laughs> yeah it causes that um so your vision looks like static that that's hard to imagine that's crazy how, how long does that last how often does that happen so I have it constantly, um, and I can't remember not having it. Wow. Um, and really, like, the only, like, weird visual things I get um, is that, like, I lost, like, part of my range of vision. So, like, I can only see, like, this far this way. And okay. then I gained my peripheral this way after my tethered cord surgery, but I had lost all of my peripheral vision at some point. Wow. Okay. Um, so just to describe to the listeners, you had vision straight in front of you, but not up or down. And then you, you did not have peripheral vision until after the surgery, which is incredible. Yeah. I mean, when the spinal cord is pinched 
or twisted or stretched or squished, anything like that causes so many symptoms. Uh, and this this is like a this this sounds like such an overwhelming symptom picture. It's amazing that you're so positive, and it's amazing that you're upright and talking to me at all. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, it also causes, like, gastrointestinal issues. Like, I have gastroparesis, um, GERD, um, where I have too much acid. And Okay. Yeah. I mean, other than, like, I have constant tendonitis. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, my legs are, like, always in pain. There's always some muscle that's swollen and not where it's supposed to be. Wow. Um, but yeah, it causes a lot. But yeah, going back to what you said about the overwhelming amount of symptoms, um, I don't get overwhelmed as much as like when I talk to doctors about my symptoms. <laughs> there's, there's like a short enough list that they're not overwhelmed by it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you tailor your list of symptoms for the doctor's appointment. You don't go into everything. You talk about a smaller list that your doctor can handle. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise. They just panic. <laughs> yeah, I, that's happened to me so many times. I mean, I relate to a lot of what you're saying where like I have my main symptoms, but then I also have all of these like peripheral symptoms that are very troubling, like visual disturbances or dizziness or, you know, like exhaustion, all, all the things that when I start going into the list of them with doctors, I can see their attention lapse. I can see their, you know, and it's not even... It's almost it's almost like in that moment they decide to stop believing me. It's like okay, well, this is too many symptoms for one person to have. Is that is that your experience? Yes, yes. <laughs> like for like I because I didn't get diagnosed with like everything until I was eighteen. Um, which part of that was just because I didn't know some things weren't normal, and others was just I got brushed off a lot. Yeah. Like I went to like one of the doctors with like this super long list and he read through like five things. And then he went, you know, I really think this is psychological. Like I really can't help you. <laughs> no, that's, it's why that is so common. That is so much more common than doctors taking people seriously. Like yeah. people are dying because of this, you know, like people are living their entire lives in pain, thinking that there's nothing that can be done because that's, that is so often doctor's first response. So how how young were you when you started searching for answers for these medical mysteries? So I wasn't really actively searching until yeah, in twenty eighteen, um, I started getting non epileptic seizures. Um, which would be like eight a day, ranging from like five minutes to hours. Wow. Um, and now I know that um there's two different reasons I get them. And one is from cervical instability, which is the extreme tremors. And the other is dystonic storms. Ooh, what's um, that? So, you know, do you know dystonia? I, I've heard it before, but I don't remember what it is. Dystonia is a lot of like um, involuntary muscle contractions. Mm. And it's very painful. But when I go, in, I go into a dystonic storm when I have... Um, now it's only if I have like a severe allergic reaction... But um, before, like, my mast cells were really out of control and my body couldn't handle the amount of mediators that were sent out, such as histamine. So it would trigger um, dystonia. So I would have these fits of dystonia where just 
all my muscles were freaking out like so yeah and just yeah. Con contracting uncontrollably and painfully yeah uncontrollably like moving weird ways um it ends up looking a lot like a catatonic seizure yeah interesting yeah i've experienced a lot of similar things where i will start like shaking and my muscles are contracting and twitching and um and then you know before i knew what it was if i was like with someone they would be terrified <laughs> it's like do i call the hospital what do i do do i just back out the door slowly and leave you i don't know when it first happened like i went to the er and i also get like really bad weakness so like i wouldn't be able to like move my legs before i went into it um and then like after it i still wouldn't be able to really move because i'd be so weak so when i went to the er they were like the first time i went there they the emts were really rude to me they thought that like i was just special and like trying to get attention mm -hmm. um, like he asked like my friend if i was in special needs um when they picked me up but when i got to the hospital they just kind of like blew it off and they're like oh well you have chronic migraines it's probably just like a weird complicated migraine and <laughs> heard that oh. dozens of times yeah <laughs> and then like um i ended up going in every time it happened because people would just get freaked out and they didn't know what was going on and i would be freaked out because i didn't know what was going on and i really just got honestly sidelined and really like from the beginning they were like i think it's just conversion disorder mm -hmm. like the psychological issue you're having and it's just manifesting physically um and a lot of my doctors like kind of went along with that because they didn't know what was causing it or what to do yeah um and i ended up doing a few months of physical therapy for it which was horrible <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm laughing because I relate to this. It's just yeah. the beginning of my diagnostic journey. All, that That's just what kept happening over and over. Yeah. It's like, oh, th this is all in your mind. Let's just do physical therapy. Um, <laughs> and it got to the point where I just like stopped for a while. I stopped trying with traditional Western mm -hmm. medicine because it was just completely unhelpful. Mm -hmm. Sorry, continue. <laughs> you can put in whatever, but... <laughs> But yeah, um, so I went to physical therapy and that made everything so much worse. Yeah. Um, I still have like, you know, visual disturbances that got worse and haven't gone away since then. But I would go and they do like physical therapy for this specifically and they'd have me stand and like I use a wheelchair um, and they were very against me using a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. um, like, okay, they'd have me like walk up and down the room. And I would be like shaking, like my body would be shaking um, because um, before I dislocate, um, I get horrible spasms in my joints. Um, and also when my pots unmanaged, it gives me tremors. So I'd just be like shaking, walking up and down. And they were like, that's the conversion disorder. <laughs> and I ended up going from six seizures a day to at least 16. Wow. From and the physical therapy, because your body is being pushed in ways that it doesn't enjoy pushed, yeah and like i would i would leave there and i'd vomit and faint Ugh. and then i have just a week of like constant vomiting fainting and i remember like telling the lady this like i am in so much pain like this is getting way worse and i told her like i'm dislocating joints during these seizures and she looked me dead in the eye and she said your brain's just getting defensive oh and my that was God. 
fine. That was my line. I was like, I'm done. And like, luckily, this was like right when I entered college. And luckily, like someone on my floor had Ehlers-Danlos syndrome in the whole nine yards like I do. Wow. Um, have seizures from it, but they had the three main conditions. And like, I would talk to them a lot and they're like, you sound a lot like these, like you have EDS and these other things. So like I started taking like antihistamines, like as they recommended. And like, I started like um, a supplement quercetin that's a mast cell stabilizer. And like my seizures almost completely once went away when I started doing that. Wow. Okay. And antihistamine, that's interesting. How, how does that affect Ehlers-Danlos? Um, so antihistamines don't really affect Ehlers-Danlos, but they affect the mast cell. Ah, oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Away like a section of that. And then also using a neck brace, I started using a neck brace and that took away another big portion. Wow. And then what was then, the other supplement that you mentioned? Um, you said Cor- Coridan or something? Porcidin. Porcidin. Yeah. What is that? Um, it's a type of like flavonoid, but they found that it's actually like a mast cell stabilizer. Huh. Cool. And it also like, heart health. So that honestly like seriously help i take like 2000 milligrams of that a day and i love it um but yeah so i like started that started working um so like my friend um bless them but um they started like getting me with their doctors to kind of have Mm. them see if they thought i had eds and they got me in with like the people that actually know about eds because the problem with eds and like the related disorders is that doctors may lightly know about it but they don't actually understand it so you actually have to go to like a specialist if you want accurate or good care um so i like went to people that specialized in it and like the first time i saw the geneticist he like diagnosed me that day he was like you were like textbook for this um he's like you were all the symptoms you have all the related conditions and like my mother has all the related conditions so he's like that's where you got it from like let's test your DNA um and I came back with a mutation so they were like EDS and I was like this happens and they're like all right go for um like tilt table test and they're like all right pots and you have the symptoms of mast cell disease so you've got that too oh my god so all the pieces just fell into place immediately which is which is fantastic because like now when I go to a doctor they believe me when I say I have something common so like if i'm like yeah like like i have tendonitis here they'll be like oh yeah you do have tendonitis (laughs) like i can instead of like fighting with me and being like oh no and like i can actually like when i'm like okay i have mast cell disease like um they kind of know the ways to treat me and like what conditions to expect um when you have a rare disease still like um i got a lot of pushback from my primary care about seeing a neurosurgeon over tethered cord because they were like, no, no, like it would show up on the MRI, like cult tethered cord doesn't exist. And I'm like, okay, well, I have all these specialists saying it does, and it's common with EDS. Um, so I like honestly took two years to get into my neurosurgeon just because I had to like argue with people still. Um, but yeah, or like when I got a death leak, like, um, and like I was a multi-site leaker, but like they were like under the impression that it was um, spontaneous. So like when I went to the ER and I was like, I think I have a CLS leak, I have Ellis Nelson. And they're like, no, like that's too rare. Like I am not sure if you have that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
even though you've been diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos. Are are spinal fluid leaks common with Ehlers-Danlos? Yeah. um, If you have, um, most people that have a spontaneous leak have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Like you are at a high risk if you have it. Okay. Wow. Fascinating. (laughs) I'm so, I'm getting so angry at your doctors. I mean, I've lived this experience as well. And a huge part of the reason I wanted to start this podcast is to spread awareness of the way that doctors treat people like us and how hard it can be to get good care because I was under the mistaken impression that the way that the medical system works is that you have a problem, you go to the doctor, they diagnose you and they treat you. And that is so often not the case. It's very often you go to the doctor, they don't believe you, they sideline you, they brush you off and you get and nothing happens and you have to continue to push for years and oftentimes just like go see different doctors and get like other professional medical opinions that you can then bring back to the first doctors or just throw those first doctors out and go see completely different people. Um, and that that is the medical system is that you have to battle through it to be believed. And oftentimes like you just get worse through that whole process. That is the common, that seems to be the norm for people with, you know, dynamic illness or undiagnosed disease or something chronic or rare. Um, and even though I've been through it, here, every time someone else tells me about it, I get so pissed. I'm just like, it happened to you too? That's stupid. <laughs> it makes me so mad. Like, I get really mad too. But like, you know, honestly, like, like one of the places I go to for physical therapy specialized in EDS. And we actually have a book of doctors that are good doctors. Because mm. everyone has experienced like the things we've been talking about. Wow. That shouldn't, it shouldn't be necessary, but there's just this prevailing feeling among a lot of doctors that if, uh, if, if something isn't obvious, then it's not real. You know, if something isn't readily apparent, um, it's not real. And if someone complains about more than one thing, they're making it up or they are overreacting or, you know, or they have conversion disorder. I have not talked to anyone personally who's actually had conversion disorder. Everyone that I've talked to, myself included, who was ever diagnosed with it, it was a misdiagnosis that was sort of an attempt by doctors to sort of sideline me or the people that they were talking to. Do you know anything about this with conversion disorder? So, I've only met one person that I would think would fit the actual guidelines of conversion disorder where they were having like paralysis symptoms um, and like a lot of like kind of repetitive motion. And they said that when they went, they like worked with like, um, they did, they did a lot of pianos. They worked with like a musician and they hacked their brain somehow to stop the repetitive motions from happening. But that is the only person like I've met. Wow. Like most that get put under conversion disorder is really just like, we don't know what's going on. So we'll throw you in here. So like I, that both of them are real. I just think that they're so exactly what we're saying, where so many doctors are just like, yeah, it's this instead of actually looking into what that disease actually is. Right. Well, that, that is good to hear that there is someone with conversion disorder that was treated and it helped. I mean, that is in some ways that's a relief to hear because I just have such a, I I have such a negative response when I hear the words conversion disorder put together because of, you know, the experiences that I've had and that you've just described. But I would never discount anyone's experience. And if they have conversion disorder, um, 
how frustrating it must be to have a disease that is so often misdiagnosed. It must be so hard to get care for that. And I would love to talk to someone with conversion disorder. If anyone's listening or if your friend is interested, hit me up, come on the show. Um, this is, that's a whole, it's a whole thing that I'm really curious about because I didn't get that deep into it because I was diagnosed with it and then told I didn't have it by the specialist like right away. And that was kind of the end of it. So I, I only had that diagnosis for like a month or something. Um, yeah, but I know a lot of people spend years with that diagnosis and then find out that it was wrong and sort of like covered up the other stuff that was going on. And it sounds like you only had a, a couple, like two or three years of that. Is that right? Yeah, so I honestly was probably only diagnosed with it for under a year. Okay. It didn't fully make its way off of my chart um, for like three years like until I got all my other diagnoses to explain away everything um, is when I could start getting it removed. Um, so I was very much, I don't have this before. Like the rest of my doctors were like, Oh yeah, you don't have that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You got to educate your doctors. It sounds like, you know, honestly, like that's like one of the things also super common. If you have rare disease, like I go into doctors and they're like, I don't know what that is. And I'm like, okay, well, this is what it does. And these are all the things. <laughs> <laughs> so after you got your diagnosis, did you, I mean, I, this is something I'm really curious about because I haven't experienced this yet of the getting of the diagnosis. There's this part of me that wants to take a victory lap <laughs> and contact every doctor I've ever seen and say, I have this and you missed it. You know, did you do anything like that? Did you have that feeling? I didn't do anything like that, but I wanted to so bad. <laughs> yeah, I daydream about that. I daydream about contacting doctors from like 10 years ago and then just be like, hey, you missed this, you jerk. <laughs> you told me this was all in my head. You told me I was making this up and I have this genetic disorder. That's what I want to be able to say. <laughs> There's honestly only one doctor that I got to message that was like, you don't have EDS, that I got to message like a month later and be like, actually, I do have EDS, which was very happy for me because like when I was in that appointment, they're like, that was the one that was like read the list of things and was like, nope, this is all stress. Like, it's not happening. And like, I remember like the nurse and him just telling me like, well, if you just walk more, like if you just try to move more, like it'll all go away. Mm. So like I like got the diagnosis. I like had to send the message like, oh, by the way, like I just got diagnosed with EDS. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so jealous. I want to do that. <laughs> so it sounds like you a, a whole bunch of doors opened right away with the neck brace and with the antihistamine and the supplement you started taking. Was there anything else that uh, treatment wise that you were able to add into your life? So I added in physical therapy a lot. Um, with like the actual like putting my joints back in place um, and just I learned like all of the ways to manage my pain so like um, like I learned like how to tape myself to keep things in place mm. um, pain reliever methods um, and I honestly like I learned that I could get the braces which is like such like a wide like thing I was like oh my god that actually helps the braces um, you said yeah, because I like I like put them on and I'm like I don't know if I like don't know how to explain it because like when you don't have a brace on I feel like my joints are just floating in water like they're going everywhere. When I put a brace on suddenly I like you feel the stability that it gives you immediately. Yeah. And it's like 
goodness, like, wow. Um, so that was, that was honestly pretty wild. Um, but I don't know. It was just kind of like, I got put on a lot of medications and a lot of stuff really fast. And that just really helped a lot of the symptoms. And then getting to that point kind of allowed me to sort through things. Like I was actually able to like figure out like what I'm allergic to and like what's causing symptoms. Whereas if I wasn't being treated for mast cell, like I would have no idea like what was going on or even be able to think that I was allergic to something. What are some of the things that you had to get out of your life? Um, all right. So lots of foods. So I have a low histamine diet. So nothing, I can't eat anything high in histamine. Um, I can't eat anything acidic, no gluten, soy, or dairy at all. All of those are gone. And that's really like the big dietary along with like some weird things like nutmeg or like other random food. Oh, and shellfish, like any sort of fish or shellfish. No. Um, And cutting that out honestly has done like a lot. And once I cut those foods out, um, I was able to figure out that I actually have contact allergies too. Oh, wow. Um, like you break out from touching things? Yeah, but from touching things. Um, and I have like, I know that like I have some that are like airborne, just smell wise for food. Um, but also I figured out that I'm allergic to sunlight. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's probably like the hardest one to yeah, manage. That's tough. I mean, and I'm allergic to heat. So like summer is like, I can be outside for like, honestly like if it's hot out like and it's sunny i can only be outside for like 30 minutes but like if i'm in a car like i can handle like two hours outside now um with like tons of sunscreen and like covering my head and whatnot um i can handle that much um before like i start swelling oh we'll start swelling i'll break out into hives um like you can actually like see like my veins start dilating um and I go really pale. I start to feel faint. And then like, I get really weak really fast. And then I'll get dystonic and I won't, I'll like be twisted up and won't be able to move. Um, and that's the point where I'm like, if like I was out in the sunlight that long, like I, like I'm home at that point. Um, but that's like almost honestly, like very fast happens very fast. If like, I literally leave my hand out in the sunlight on the car um, and the lights touching it, like hives, hives and swelling immediately. Wow. Just like in uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. If, <laughs> if Spike goes outside for a second, it's no good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm definitely nicknamed a vampire. Like I don't even like let light into my room. I, <laughs> these like lights for my plants, which is like the purple light behind me. But like I keep it facing away from me so that it doesn't touch me. <laughs> Wow. It's like, you know, sunlight has UV light in it. So even just like being in UV light causes symptoms for me. Oh, that's so frustrating because it it's also like such a healing thing to be outside or in sunlight. Honestly, yeah. Um, I have like seasonal affection disorder too. So mm-hmm. like I have to like rely on like my little light box because like I just get so much more depressed during the year than I used to because I can't be in the sun. Yeah. And I have to kind of like tailor when I'm outside. So I like try to avoid being out between 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. Because that's when like light's the brightest. 
there's definitely, it's like a lot to juggle at once. Yeah. How do you juggle all of this at once? Um, I don't know exactly. I think I, I just go with it. Um, <laughs> it's a lot of just like trying, but like I have a bag of medical supplies. So like also when I go out, I have to like wear masks. Um, so I've been wearing a mask before everybody else. Mm, Pre-COVID um, masking. Yeah, pre-COVID masking. And, like, sometimes, like, if there's, like, a specifically bad allergy, like, if there's lobster at a restaurant or, like, if there's, like, smoke or, like, the smell of weed in the air, like, I put on a respirator. Um, so I carry, like, I carry, like, pain creams, um, lots of medication, um, lots of water. Um, specifically like propel because that can like help keep me from fainting with my pots because pots you have to stay very hydrated um, to help symptoms um, so I do that I have like I take tapes with me um, different types of masks um, sometimes a snack just so that like if I go out like and something happens like I'm safe like I can deal with it yeah yeah you prepared and the muscle taping that's that's so interesting i i'd never thought about that for ehlers danlos i mean i've only seen muscle tape used for like an injury for an athlete or something but but that's so great that that's working for you as well so when you started using like a neck brace or the muscle tape or any of like a wheelchair any of the things that you use to help you um, live your life as these things became more visible what was the reaction like from your friends and family or from the world around you? So kind of like my mother gets very stressed about everything. My family definitely got very stressed and upset, like more upset than I was about it. Um, <laughs> and then I had like my friends were kind of split in two that I knew before the wheelchair where half of them are just really good about it. Um, and like, they don't make it a big deal. They don't say anything. And the other half is like, oh my God, you're in a wheelchair. Like, I don't know how to talk to you anymore. Yeah. Um, but when, like, I started going out in public, like, up until college, like, in my area, I get glares in the grocery store. Um, especially, like, I mean, I think just being in a wheelchair in public will get you glares. But, like, especially because I was in a wheelchair and, like, braced, like, everything braced. People <laughs> were, like, like, like... <laughs> Like, literally, like, moved, like, across the aisle, like, out of the way from me. Yeah. Um, which was kind of disheartening. And also, like, anytime I'm alone, I don't know why, but it's always, like, you know, women in, like, their 30s are up, but they always come over to me. And they're always like, so what happened to you? And, <laughs> and they, like, yeah, they ask me all these questions, and then they always end it with, you could have been so pretty. What? <laughs> Like, why, why did you do that? I was going to say, like, all of this has been happening to me, too, because I started using a wheelchair recently. Except for that last one, no one's ever come up to me and said, you could have been so pretty. I get that all the time. Wow. How rude. I know, right? Well, using a wheelchair and, and wearing a neck brace does not make you any less pretty. That's... A horrible thing to say to someone like don't don't impose your stupid beauty standards on anyone else you know like that's that's awful also like i'm still pretty i'm still pretty like my beauty did not go away in day just because i became disabled absolutely uh -huh. i can see you you're very beautiful i can vouch for it <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah, that was like, honestly, that was like, honestly, the first time like someone's ever told me that like, I wasn't pretty like indirectly. So I was just like sitting there like, why did you say that to me? But it's become common. Wow. Like as long as I'm alone, someone says that to me. And also like the other flip side is that like in my town is that if someone's like not glaring at me or being rude, there's always someone really creepy. Hmm always something really creepy that just like has to follow me around or like talk to me like i like got on the train one day and this like lady like started touching my hair and i was like this has never happened like before my wheelchair like no one's ever just thought they can like pull my ponytail (laughs) (laughs) but like i i don't know what it is but people start thinking that they can just like touch you yeah i was just thinking about this recently how in some people's eyes, if you are in a wheelchair, you're less than human all of a sudden. Like, your humanity is, is like, very quickly diminished in their eyes. And it's, it's so disturbing. It's, like, palpable. You can feel it. You can see it. There's an energy shift. You know, I mean, for both of us, having gone through the world without a wheelchair for a certain amount of time and then switching, it's very apparent what the difference is. And it's so... It's so disturbing. You know, there, there's this movement in society right now towards inclusivity with, you know, both ableism and racism and all of the hor- like sexism, like all of these horrible isms that are a part of, you know, quote unquote, mainstream society. There's this push to, to break that apart because it's so harmful. And for anyone who is a part of that mainstream society who's never experienced being othered by it, you don't understand it. You can't. But for people who cross over, who are like, you know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a white man. So I, I experienced white male privilege my whole life. And there's moments where I would tell people that I was Jewish, where that privilege would go out the window and they would, you know, tell me I was going to hell and tell me they, you know, couldn't be friends with me or whatever. I mean, horrible things along those lines but for the most part it wasn't until you know very recently where i really felt like i was kind of kicked out of you know normal society for using a wheelchair and the the tragedy of that is that you know people like us are going through these extra layers of challenge and we oftentimes need support and those are the moments in which society's like okay well we're done with you like you're no longer one of us you're no longer a part of this uh, you could have been so pretty, but, you know, and, and they don't see that we are still human. We still have value. And it's just such a perspective shift. But along with that comes this sort of aha moment of like, wow, I don't need them. You know, like I don't want them and I don't want to be a part of that. If that's what this is, I don't want anything to do with it. That's my rant. <laughs> it's a good rant. It's a good rant. I Thank completely. You. i think all of us like pick up on that and feel that way um but honestly i think it's also like disheartening that that's something that happens especially like a lot of people come up to me that like are getting wheelchairs or something like that um and they like ask me they're like how how do you handle that like how do you deal with being in public when people like glare at you or just like look at you like that yeah and like Honestly, I don't really know how to answer them. I think it's just like, I don't know. Like, I just ignore them and like, I'm going to live my life. Like, yeah. Yeah, that is such a tough question. I mean, 
Like, what do you do with the half of your friends that now look at you totally differently? Like, what did you do in that scenario? Um, all right. So I kind of didn't know what to do for a while. Um, and then like recently I like got kind of, I got really frustrated recently because it's coming back into summer and I like wanted to talk to some of the people I knew before I got a wheelchair and it was just immediately like that kind of thing or like, Oh, like any picture that I posted was like, Oh, where I'm standing. It's like, Oh, it's a miracle. And I, I start having conversations with people about why they were rude. And then like, finally I was just like, if you're rude about it, like I'm blocking you, like you're going, like, I'm not, I'm not putting it up with it anymore. Like there's like, I don't know. Like if you guys want to have like a question day where you ask me anonymous questions, that's fine, but I'm not doing this like person on person telling them that they were rude and mean to me anymore. Hmm. Absolutely. You don't owe anyone anything. And yeah, yeah I mean, it, it, people often impose their, uh, what's the word, their ignorance on other people where like suddenly, you, you know, you're in a wheelchair, they want you to explain to them everything about it. And that's unfair. You know, that's what Google is for. <laughs> and yeah, like we shouldn't have to go through that every time we talk to someone, you know, that, that's another part of why I started this show is that I wanted a way to kind of address my, all my friends and family and tell them what was going on with me because all of a sudden I'm, they may or may not see me in a wheelchair. Cause you know, I can walk short distances. So if I'm just going to a restaurant, I might be able to walk from the car to my seat. But if yeah. I'm, but if it's like a, you know, a big restaurant, I probably won't. I'll probably bring the wheelchair. I just kind of play it by ear. And I have started to develop this, like, um, what's, what's, I'm having a hard time with words today. Um, a sort of paranoia about being seen standing up out of my wheelchair, because I know that people are so ignorant of the fact that a lot of wheelchair users as Maya always says on TikTok, not, not all wheelchair users are paralyzed. And there is a myriad of reasons for people to use wheelchairs that have, that have nothing to do with, uh, you know, an, a complete inability to use their legs, which everyone always assumes, but because maybe their legs only work a little bit, or maybe they can only go a short distance, or maybe they're at risk of falling or risk of um, passing out or um, neurological disorders or tremors. I mean, there's just so many reasons um, and they're all equally as valid, you know, they're all a hundred percent as valid as each other. And it's, it shouldn't be on that person who's just trying to live their life to have to ev educate everyone around them all the time. It's very unfair. <laughs> and I think there's also the thing where people don't realize that like our abilities may change day to day. Mm -hmm. Like walk into like sometimes like a restaurant a certain distance. I walk very short distances but people think that I can walk distances like you can, and I can't. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of like, no, I can't do that. But also like, if one day I can do something that I know that I usually can't other days, I will not do it when anyone else is around because mm. they'll like, do it every day since then. But yeah, the, their expectation changes. Yeah. yeah, and that's so frustrating too, because I, on a day where my legs are feeling better and I can walk a little further, I want to be able to do it joyfully. I don't want to have to do it nervously looking around to see who's watching me, but that's how I feel too, you know? Yeah, definitely. I like, I honestly, I will not 
stand up from my wheelchair if I'm like in a store or something like only if I'm with like a small group of people like I will because I I don't want to deal with like the conversations or like the accusations yeah accusations that's so true because yeah if you have like a um disability placard in your car and you you know you get out and use a wheelchair and then someone sees you stand like there could be a violent confrontation because people are that awful you know like that is a very real thing um and that's something that i worry about too and i i actually was at a store yesterday in my wheelchair and there was something too high for me to reach i popped my brakes on and i stood up and i was like you know what i'm doing this (laughs) like i like screw everyone else i don't care what anyone else thinks of me right now i i need deodorant I want that flavor. I'm going to stand up and get it because I can, you know, I can't, I can't walk across this store because this store is huge, but I can stand up and get this thing and I'm going to do it. And that's the first time I ever did it because I've always avoided that as well because it is so uncomfortable because of the way that people treat you around it. Um, and different places in the country could be dangerous to do that because because people think, oh, look at this huckster who's pretending to be in a wheelchair, you know? who? No one does that except for you know, Blaine Sturgeon from Frasier, which is such a specific reference <laughs> that, like, five people will get and love. But, <laughs> but, like, that, I mean, I'm sure that that has happened in the history of humanity, that people have pretended to need a wheelchair, but the, the amount of times that has happened is so min- minuscule, um, to as not be a worry. That was a horrible sentence. <laughs> to as not be a worry. Um, I think that it is extremely safe to assume that if you see someone in a wheelchair, they need the wheelchair. And if you see them stand up, they can stand up, but they still need a wheelchair. Those two things are not exclusive to each other. I don't think people understand how hard it is to get around in a wheelchair. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Yeah, tell me about your wheelchair. You just got a power chair, right? So you must have a couple chairs. I have like a few. Um, all of my chairs are secondhand through an organization, mm. so I got all of mine for free. Um, wow. Awesome. Very first wheelchair, um, my friend picked up off the side of the road for me. There's <laughs> one of those really big hospital chairs, yeah. um, and I used that for a while. And then I started getting like the regular like quickie chairs. Um, and my problem with those was that I kept dislocating my shoulders. Oh, geez. That's so frustrating. And I was honestly, for a while, I was like, I'll just pop it back in and I'll keep going. But then I got the CSF leak and I was like, I had to really evaluate, okay, is it safe for me to dislocate my shoulder anymore? And the answer is no. So I asked for, um, a power chair with, (laughs) <laughs> a wheelchair with power assist okay yeah yeah um but kind of during the time that i asked for that and to now i really thought about what i needed from a wheelchair and i was honestly really against getting power assist and i think it's like an internalized ableism thing and mm-hmm. same with a power chair even though like i'd literally have to ask people to push me like every hour because I couldn't do it. Um, but I was like, nope, not, not, you know, I can still get around, so I'm not going to do that. Um, but I finally said, you know what, I'm getting it. So I got a power chair and I'm 
super excited because I'm actually going to be able to like go places and like not worry about like fainting on the way or like having to ask some random person like, hey, can you push me a few miles? <laughs> That's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, people, people don't get that for us wheelchair users, our chairs are freedom. They, they represent an ability to go do things that we couldn't do before. And we often love them, you know? Like, I have a new chair coming. I'm so excited. I got the, the Kai Rogue um, from Kai Mobility. It's an uh, incredible, like, active wheelchair, solid frame. And it's, gonna make, it's just going to open up so many possibilities in my life. And I'm so, I'm so excited. And I'm so glad to hear that you got a new power chair that is going to do the same for you. Um, be, yeah, because, you know, we want to go do things. Those of us yeah. who spend so much time stuck inside because of our health, we want to get out and do things. I, and people often look at us and say, why do you spend so much time inside? Like, you should, why do you spend so much time watching TV? Why are you playing Warframe for 600 hours? And it's like, well, because I got a lot of time to kill where my body is recharging and healing. Yeah, honestly, I used to get like really mad at my body for a while because like I would have to lay down and I like wouldn't be able to do anything. So I'd be like, okay, I guess we're like watching movies for a few hours. But like I would like be texting people during that and they'd be like, oh, why don't you just go do this? And I'm like, because I literally can't do it. Yeah. Like I can't. Um, or like here, like I don't have a ramp on my house um, and I just got like a two foot ramp so I can get into my porch now. Um, and that was super exciting. Um, but when I got my wheelchair dropped off, they, they're not allowed to bring it upstairs. So they left it at the bottom of the stairs. And I was like, I can get to that wheelchair. Like I can go somewhere. So like, I ended up just like going down the street to like visit one of my family members. But I like, I was so excited. I didn't even know what to do with myself. Cause I was like, I can leave the house on my own. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's such a good feeling like that. That's, this is something else that I never understood until recently is that a huge part of being chronically ill is um, just, is like long periods where you make no progress. And then whenever you make the littlest progress, it's so good. It feels so good. It's like, oh man, I found this thing that makes my pain a little bit better. And it's just so good. You appreciate it so much. Or it's like, wow, I can go down the street and visit my family on my own. And that feels incredible. Like yesterday, um, I live on Capitol Hill in Seattle and you know, it's a hill. So I wanted to get up to the main drag and I've never been able to get there on my own power with the wheelchair. And yesterday I did it for the first time, like all the way up the hill to the main drag. I was able to, Andy and I like went to the store and went to um, a restaurant and I dropped off my disability paperwork <laughs> and I made it all the way up the hill on my own. And I was just buzzing all day with like this beautiful feeling of, I did that myself you know, and it, it's just so powerful. And I used to like walk up and down that hill all the time. And I used to like ride my bike up and down that hill. And I, I love doing those things from like a, like a detached level. But now I feel so attached to the joy of achievement that I didn't used to feel. So it's like, you know, people look at people with disabilities or people who are always sick and say, oh man, you're, like, you're so limited. But that's not how it feels because Sometimes it feels that way, but then other times when you overcome one of those limitations, you just feel great, you know? <laughs> you feel great. <laughs> yeah, it's honestly so exciting. And, like, anytime I hear you talk about, like, something that gets to happen, I get, like, all giddy, too, because I'm like, I know that feeling. Like, that's literally the best. <laughs> yeah, totally. 
Yeah, I mean, it's all about, it, life is about joy, in my opinion, you know, filling your life with as much joy as possible. What, what do you do to fill your life with joy? It sounds like TV and, um, and sounds like friendships, but what, and your plants. So, yeah. tell me a little bit about that. What are your coping mechanisms? Um, I think there's like, I think there's like two weird things I do. Um, and one of them is just like, I kind of separate myself from my body. So like when I get upset, like I'll end up not being upset at me. I'll be upset that like my body's not doing something. Um, and lately I've been kind of reframing that as like, I should be happy that like my body's done everything that it does for me and is supporting me and it's working super hard. And then like, I also just like allow myself to have like a little pity party when something like brand new happens. So like, if I want to like grieve about like not being able to do this anymore, or like I had like two days where I was like crying because my hair was falling out and I was like, all right, we're going to cry and we're going to set a time limit on it and we're going to get everything out. And then we're just going to move on with life or like, I think like things got put to the test when I had, my CSF week is that was, that was horrible. Um, that was really horrible. Like I actually had to like, um, go on like anti-anxiety meds, um, for a little while. And I would do like, like hypnosis to like, like the calming hypnosis to like keep myself calm. Cause you're, but you must've been so much pain. Those are so painful. I was actually dying for the first two weeks of it. Yeah. Um, like I couldn't eat. Um, or drink and I ended up in the ER a few times because I became deathly dehydrated um, and eventually it started to get better but like I was in like the crying shaking vomiting fainting pain every day almost constantly wow that was super hard to get through I just had to like keep messaging my friends and like had some anxiety pills and then just dealing with like the fear of like it happening again because I'm a multi-site leaker um, at least we think I have multiple leaks. I had multiple leaks at the same time because we didn't do, um, much imaging cause it wasn't as important as getting me in, um, to be sealed. But we think I had a leak relating to surgery and then two spontaneous leaks in my spine. Um, so I'm at an even higher risk of it reoccurring within the next year, um, and the next few years than a normal person that had a spontaneous leak. So I kind of just have to keep like telling myself like things are what they are and like I just have to live my life however I can like in the meantime. Wow. And, like I can't worry about it. Wow. Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, you it sounds like you've developed some really incredible coping mechanisms. So <laughs> remind me the name of that surgery where something was in the wrong place in your spine? Um so that was um detethering surgery with a laminosectomy. Um, wow. for a cold word. Okay, tell, tell me more about that actual procedure. What happened? Okay, so basically um, they went into like the lumbar spine um, through my back and they go, they cut through the dura and they actually look at like the spinal cord and they have like so all sorts of microscopic cameras to help them so that they can deal with the nerves. But basically they detach your spinal cord um, from your actual spine. Um, there's usually like tissue that has to cut away 
And then I had a really fatty thylum, so they cut away a lot of my thylum and thinned it out. What is a thylum? So a thylum is like phylum. the extent the, the bottom of your, um, so like you have your spinal cord and then there's this bottom section um, that goes to your tailbone. And that part is the phylum. Okay. You've had to learn so much about your body. It's <laughs> incredible. You know so many words that I'm like, what is that word? <laughs> That's incredible. Okay, keep going, keep going. So, so uh, they, they cut into the, the base of your spine. They, they pull this, they separate the spinal cord from, um, from the surrounding was, tissue? Yeah, from the surrounding tissue because it was, there's like usually like some sort of tissue um, that keeps it attached to your actual spine. So they have to cut that away um, and detether that. And then they don't know exactly what having a fatty phylum causes, but they know it can impede movement. Um, so they thinned out my phylum um, to help with the moving of my spinal cord, um, which apparently I had one of the fattiest phylums she's seen. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> once, once I started cutting all that fat away, like you started, your, your spinal cord started moving way better. And I was like, okay. So yeah, they just cut that out. And then they take um, the part of your um, vertebra that's, um, I think the lamina is what it's called. And they remove it. Wow. Which them get into the actual spinal cord but b it helps to remove any pressure this sounds terrifying because if if they nick something the wrong way you could be paralyzed right yeah how did you deal with that stress um honestly i really wasn't stressed about the surgery um my family was stressed there were a lot of fights about getting the surgery but just so we have like a symptom picture of what I was going in with. Um, I lost complete um, sensation and both temperature and touch waist down. Um, I got to a point where I couldn't feel my bladder at all or know when I need to go to the bathroom. So I was just like leaking and having horrible incontinence. Um, it also caused neurogenic bowels. So like I can't control my bowels anymore. And I was going to, if I didn't get the surgery, by this time this year, like I wouldn't be able to swallow even water. So I was like, I need this to just stop progressing. Yes. Yeah. I, you know, whatever is going to happen, like I need this to stop progressing. Like that's all I want. Yes. So they're like, I'm going to have something that solves my problems or at least, you know, halt some. And it did help give some things back. Like for instance, my toes are no longer paralyzed because my toes ended up being paralyzed um, <laughs> from it and I can move them now. And I have, you know, a lot of touch sensation back. I have all my temperature sensation back. There's no like constant pins and needles in my legs. So there's like a lot less pain and a lot less I have to worry about getting worse. Wow. That was honestly like a big win for me. I was like, I need the surgery and that's just the end of it. Absolutely. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, there's so many, like when you start to get into things, thing, these things where there's like some options that are, you know, some doctors think you should do it. Some don't, some family members think you should do it. Some don't, you have to follow your inner compass and follow your, your gut instincts. Um, I just released an episode yesterday as we're recording this with uh, my friend, Sarah about, keratoconus, which is this, you know, eye condition. Um, we, were we were just talking about this very thing about how um, your instinct around your doctors and what your body needs is has to be your guiding 
force. And sometimes it's going to be wrong because you're not a doctor, you're a patient. But if you feel like your body needs this thing, you know, only you can be the, the, the final say in that of like what needs to happen. And if you don't trust your doctor, find a different doctor, get other opinions. There's nothing wrong with getting more opinions. There's nothing wrong with trying different doctors, but it sounds like you followed your instinct and it, and it was a huge help, which is amazing. Yeah. I'm so glad to hear that. So, Thanks. so these, these, uh, CSF leaks, um, it sounds like that might've been a complication of that surgery after the fact. Yeah, we think so. I mean, I didn't, I was seven weeks into recovery from that surgery when things really hit. Yeah. Um, and I started getting all of the leak symptoms, which were horrible. There are so many of them. Um, and like, I, at first, like, I just like the first day that I got the symptoms, I was like, I just thought like I had a really bad migraine mm. and then like, the next day I couldn't sit up in my neck, like horrible, horrible neck pain. So I was like, well, maybe like it's just my neck instability. Cause one of the problems I've had from getting the surgery and also getting a blood patch is it worsens your cervical instability. So I was like, maybe it's just that. Um, and then like I texted my doctors, my symptoms and they're like, that sounds like a CSF leak. You need to go like talk to people. Um, and honestly, that whole situation was a very big mess. Mm. Um, I shouldn't have had to leak for three months before I got treated. Three months. Months. Oh three my months. god! And that's just excruciating pain all day. I mean, I, I yeah. talked about this a couple of weeks ago when when Andy and I read your email. But I I also had a CSF leak, and it was among the two most painful things that have ever happened to me. Um, your, your whole body just like rings with pain and wrongness it's like imagine that your spinal cord is like like a, a string on like a, a a giant stringed instrument and you pluck it and it's just your whole body rings with pain like that's what it kind of felt like to me um i can't imagine and i only had it for like a few days maybe a week before we got in for the blood patch i think i think just like a long weekend uh i can't imagine living with that for three months that must have been so hard yeah, honestly, I was, like, really excited to, like, hear you talk about it because, like, I really, like, don't have anyone else to talk about it with. But, yeah, so, like, I was, like, it's exactly the like, excruciating pain you were talking about. But also, like, my vision would blur out. Um, I couldn't, at the very start of it, I couldn't even sit up a minute. Like, I could not sit up at all, could not be upright. Um I would start vomiting. I had horrible nausea. Um, I have some hearing loss because of it. And um, like I would like sit up and my hearing would drown out and I could barely hear anything that anyone was saying, even if they were like yelling it at me. And I was so dizzy that anytime I would try to like move or walk, I would just start like falling and like going absolutely everywhere. Like I remember I was trying to put my leg forward and it'd be like on the opposite side of me instead. Um, it was just a mess. And like those first two weeks I was dying and I thought I was, I like never got the fear out that I was going to die those three months. Um, but like the first few weeks were the absolute worst. Um, my GI system like actually shut down and they had to like get it going again. Um, and then like, I don't know, like after a while, I think like two months in my pain started going down a bit because the headache starts to 
um, kind of decrease once it becomes more chronic. Mm-hmm. Um, and like they have some theories as to why, but nobody really knows. They think it's maybe because like your CSF production, your body speeds up to accommodate. But that was when I actually started getting relief from lying down. Because like before, like sitting up made the pain unbearable, but I was also getting that horrible pain just like laying there. Um, so like I couldn't win for a while, but like when I like finally could get like some relief from like laying down and was like pain is in a manageable level, I was like I was literally like so happy. I was like finally, finally. Wow, yeah. And then <laughs> when you were laying down all the time, you mentioned you have. Um acid reflux issues and GERD as well. And I know from experience that when you can't sit up, uh, you, you, your throat starts to burn because your, your stomach fluid like goes back up. Uh, <laughs> and it, that can be very serious as well. Yeah, that was honestly pretty bad. Um, I would like try to turn my head to the side to try to get it to be less, but also like, excuse me, like I ended up like vomiting a few times just because the acid was coming out. Um, yeah. But yeah, wow, that that wasn't fun. What was um, your What was your childhood like? I mean, it you must yeah. have been uh, developing symptoms probably all throughout your childhood. I mean, a lot of kids have a lot of allergies and sensitivities, but I'm assuming yours must have been pretty extreme. What was that like? Well, when I was little, like I always got like these random hives that I would scratch until like I had like this large, like um, kind of like lesion on my leg. And I thought that was normal. Um, I also thought it was normal for like your mouth to burn and break out in sores all the time. I just thought that that was normal. That happens to everybody Um, because it has always happened to me. Um, And also like I'd be in pain and like my like knees would be vibrating and people would be like, Oh, like that's fine. Um, it just happens sometimes. So I wouldn't like bring up a lot of things. So I was always just told it was kind of normal. Um, but all of my conditions have gotten worse as I've gotten older. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything just kind of got ignored until it got to a point where we couldn't pay attention. We yeah. couldn't ignore it longer. Um, but yeah, um, I only recently realized that people didn't have severe pain like on the daily because yeah. um, like i met people and they're like yeah i don't experience any pain and i'm like you don't have like constant pain <laughs> wow you just thought that's how bodies worked i just thought that's how bodies worked and like you know everyone in my family's sick so like a lot of things were like oh yeah that's normal or like we'd tell it to the doctor and they'd be like oh those are growing pains those are just growing pains they're like oh you just slept on your leg wrong yeah like it looks fine um so i don't know also getting just brushed off a lot just kind of you know really thought through that things were normal Um, yeah i mean there are like growing pains obviously exist and like (laughs) there are times where something will just randomly hurt and then it goes away and like everyone with chronic pain knows that because we all have those too but then we have these other things that feel very different that don't go away um or that, like, I, I have certain neurological pain where I can tell that it's neurological because, like, my foot will hurt, but so will my temple, my right temple. Um, like, if I, if I step on my right foot, it always hurts my right temple in my head. And we think that there's some sort of nerve damage or something. We don't know why or what it is. But um, 
but whenever I have a nerve pain, I can kind of tell because it feels different from regular pain. Like if you cut yourself, um, it's a totally different type of pain than nerve pain or like random neurological pain. And when you live in a body that has that, you kind of learn to tell the difference. So whenever I have a new pain, I always wait for a few days to even worry about it because they often will just come and go. But but because like because that's a thing that people without pain experience when you tell them about your pain they it's very easy to dismiss it you know because they don't know what they're talking about because they've never experienced it themselves so they just assume it isn't real i mean this this is a huge problem in the way that human brains are wired is that if you haven't experienced something you assume that it's not real when in fact you should just assume oh I haven't experienced it, so I haven't experienced it. That's the end of it. It doesn't mean that it's not real. It just means you haven't experienced it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've had a lot of those similar experiences, obviously. So, you've gotten worse as you've gotten older. What is your long-term prognosis? Is that something you've talked about with your doctors? Um, honestly, we haven't really talked about it at all. Um, I have, like, the most benign form of Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, so nothing is probably going to kill me. I'm just going to like the expectation that I'm going to be in pain and that like my joints are going to generate is kind of fair. Um, but a lot of doctors also don't really know the prognosis for my conditions. Yeah, like, they don't really know how things will go or if things will get better, or they'll get worse. I mean, generally, um, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome is considered progressive because yeah. of all the causes. Um, but you'll kind of hear doctors say things like, oh, well, you stiffen up as you get older, so that should make everything go away, which is like, is just a lie. Like, that's just not true. That doesn't make um, any sense. But you'll hear a lot of things like that. But also, like, things could go so many different ways so easily that, like, nobody wants to be like, oh, well, it could cause this, but you could also be fine. So it's kind of just like, they really don't have any answers for me. I just kind of have to see how things go. I mean, I have a general idea of conditions that I could get. Um, and it's like, if I start getting that, like, we'll deal with that then. But um, I just kind of live with the knowledge that, you know, I'm going to have a lot of damage and I'm probably going to have increased pain my whole life. But that's the only thing I can count on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's tough like I I try to keep myself in the present and not project into the future because the future is so uncertain. Do you feel the same? Yeah. Yeah, it, it feels very helpful to me. What do you want to achieve as a person? I sort of unrelated to your health. I know you're studying linguistics. What do you want to be? I don't know exactly what I want to do, but I know that I want to help in some way. Um, and I know that I want to work for a nonprofit. Like I want to make some sort of positive change in the world and I want to help people. I don't know exactly how that'll look yet though. Yeah. But that's the right instinct. I, that's beautiful. I love that. Um, what, what sort of, uh, pain medications would you recommend to someone else, um, going through anything similar as you, or you, you mentioned a topical cream as well. I'm curious about the specifics of things that have helped. So I have a lot of drug allergies. Um, I'm allergic to most pain medications. I can't have any NSAIDs or really many opiates. So I kind of rely on like 
Tylenol with Benadryl and Arnica gel and magnesium oil. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I've heard good things about, uh, Arnica oils. Um, I've never tried a gel though. That's interesting. And that's just a topical you rub it on and it, and it helps with the pain. Yeah, honestly, it's really helpful. I mean, you're not supposed to put it on your face, but I stick it on my face all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You've learned so much about so many things that you've had to deal with. I mean, you're, you're a fountain of information. I feel like we could talk for hours. Um, but I'm so, I'm so curious, you know, I love asking this question. If, if you could reach someone out there who was just being diagnosed with any of these diseases that you've dealt with, is there anything you could tell them that might ease their journey? I think I would say that there's, a beauty in being disabled or like visibly disabled to them. Um, but also you kind of have to become the expert on your conditions and know the ways that they can go. Um, and honestly really like get into like the communities, like even just the support groups on Facebook, because like they can give you doctors um, and recommend people and they'll have so much information of just little things that are helpful that your doctor may not have. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this whole conversation is making me think about the fact that, you know, when you have a visible illness or what some would consider a weakness, they judge you for it and they judge you to be weak. And it's just so unfair because just talking to you, it's so obvious how much strength you have. Like if you were put into one of these normies bodies (laughs) and we're given like a fully functional pain-free body, you'd be like a superhero because you, (laughs) you have so much strength and so much um, mental fortitude to live um, with so much joy and grace as you do inside of all these challenges. And you're so strong and I see that. And I hope that other people in your life see that. And I know that people often look at you as if you are weak and that's so unfair. And I just want to say that. I just want that to be pointed out because it's just, to me, it's just abundantly obvious how much strength you have. I don't think I have words for that, but I'm so thankful to you for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Morgan, this has been amazing. I We've been wanting to chat for a while and it's wonderful to talk to you. I feel like we could, I feel like there's so much we didn't even cover, but I know we're at an hour and a half and we should just for the sake of the podcast, we should wrap things up for now. Um, you know, if you ever want to come back in the future, I mean, I, I always forget to tell people this, but anyone who comes on the show, if you ever want to come back, if you're, you know, have something new to talk about on the show, you're always welcome. So, um, is there anything that you want to plug or social media that you want to point anyone in the direction of? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's easy. Well, I, I appreciate your time so much. You did a really incredible job. I learned a ton because you're so knowledgeable. Um, and I just really, really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth-pop album, 
Available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com. Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons, including Naomi Adele Smith, and our $25 per month producers, including Steve Cavanaugh. Learn how you can support the show at patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast.